Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a fun and full podcast lined up for you. We have the wonderful Erica Henningsen on the podcast, as well as our first ever podcast challenge slash homework assignment. Uh, I know Erica from our time together the past few summers at the Performing Arts Project, where she is a fantastic teacher and a very game participant at Roundup, which is like a late night talk show that ends each day at TPAP. Um, this is another one of our artist exploration episodes where we try to look at the college process and how it carried forward into the careers of some successful artists today. Today, Erica and I, we talk about strategizing your college audition. We talk about interacting with non-theater majors at school, the value of that what it is to be a sponge and be squeezed at school, uh, the transition to New York City, getting to know the city and balancing work and auditioning, and then how we pull inspiration from our idols. We also play a little Mean Girls trivia game, which Erica was a champion at. Next week, we have John Simpkins from Penn State University in another one of our college deep dive episodes. And don't forget to stick around at the end of the episode to hear about your podcast challenge slash homework assignment. Um, you can also check those details out in our show notes and on our website. Let's get to the episode with Erica. Well, it is such an honor to bring on Erica Henningsen. Uh, Erica is a graduate of the University of Michigan's BFA Musical Theater Program. She made her Broadway debut as Fantine in the Broadway revival of Les Mis. Um, she originated in the role of Katie Heron in Mean Girls on Broadway, for which she was nominated for an Outer Critics Circle Award. Um, prior to the shutdown, she was slated to join the Broadway cast of the new musical Flying Over Sunset. She's done a lot of regional theater, a lot of television. She's on season one of Peacock's new comedy, Girls 5 Ever, um, and a lot of nonprofit work, including she's a creator of the First Time Voters Club. Uh, she also just recently got engaged. Huge congratulations to you for that, Erica, to you <laughs> and your partner. Thank you. Um, we're so happy to have you on the pod. Erica, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. It is very cool to hear it all sort of... Put put together, and then to end with that big piece of personal personal news, I was like, oh yeah, that is sort of the the big thing that's happened in the last couple of months. It's very exciting. The cherry on the top. Yeah. Well, if we can take it back a little bit to when you were maybe sixteen or seventeen, and if you feel like you'd had a real sense of what you were looking for in a school, what do you think that was? What were you kind of looking for back then? Totally. Um, I loved high school, not because of the social element, but because of the student element. I loved learning. I loved being in extracurriculars. So I knew when I was looking for a college program, which I really didn't know that I was going to pursue musical theater until I was about 15 or 16, which is when I learned that there was a place that would massage the gap between being a person who loves theater as a hobby and somebody who does it as a professional. So when I found out about these programs, that was sort of when it finally clicked in of, ah, okay, now I understand how people get from point A to point B. This is one of the options to do it. And when I was looking at schools, I knew that I wanted a place where I could try everything, whether it be performance related, like directing or writing or stage management um, versus a school that would only have me singing, acting and dancing 24 seven. So that helped me really narrow my search because it meant that I was trying to find a place that had a ton of resources for whatever I could be curious about. And I was interested in picking up a minor. I was interested in the possibility of double majoring, which even though I ended up not doing that, um, the ability to take classes beyond just 
ballet one, ballet two, ballet three, ballet four every year was something I was most excited about in the search. And did you end up taking any of those other classes, even if you didn't get a full minor or major? Did you take any interesting yes. forays into that? Yes, I did. I was almost a German minor. I became, uh, let's I think, three credits too short, too shy of it. But it was all four years that I was at the University of Michigan, I had about... 25% of extracurricular credit that I could do anything with. And that was when I took classes in the film school. And that's when I took classes in the English department, in the architectural department. And it just expands your worldview, of course, but something also about the way you communicate with others. I think theater people are so wonderful and we latch on to that tribe at a very young age if you find it especially in the high school musical theater world. And something about being in class with other people and learning from other people, I think that is what I knew was going to be effective as an actor to learn how do you relate to human beings who are not um, people who put themselves on stage eight times a week, because that's a that's a very specific type of person. <laughs> that's so funny. Elizabeth and I have been talking about that. We're taking this Zoom birth class and we're like the only people who are ever willing to volunteer. And we're like, can we just, we, we did the exercise. We'll talk about it again, you know, because we're like, and then like, I'll talk about it and then she'll talk about it. And everyone else is like, yes. and like one of the dads is like, that's all I have to say. Like he won't, like he can't literally even be like, it was good for me or whatever. I think teachers love having theater people in their class because we are always ready to participate, willing to respond. Yes. Oh, and let me vulnerably talk about what didn't go well for me in the end. What didn't go well for you? Oh, God, I thought we were supposed to say how good we were. Like, I was like, uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what about, do you remember how many schools you auditioned for back in the day? I do. I do. I think I auditioned for 10 schools, and a couple of those were at Unifieds. And then the mm -hmm. four that were the most important to me, I was really lucky enough to get to go in person, which... I'm sure my mother will listen to this at some point. Shout out to you, mom. Yes. <laughs> she took me there. Um, but I remember the unified auditions were really wonderful. And and I really tried to only audition and apply to schools because I applied to schools that were just liberal arts colleges, not BFA programs, because I thought, am I actually going to be happy here? And the schools that I toured, even if they had really great reputations, there were some wonderful programs that would have given me a great degree and a great training. But when I toured the school or talked to the students, I could not see myself there. And I took those schools off the list. Um, and some of them were the very fancy schools that we have award-winning um, actors who have come from there. And it just, I could not see myself there. And that is, I think, a huge piece of advice that I have for students that just because the alumni roster looks sparkly and shiny does not necessarily mean that you are going to love that four-year experience. Um and so I always recommend to students, if you can get to the campus, great. And if you can't, one thing that I did was I would reach out to the uh, dean of admissions and say, can I be put in contact with a freshman or a sophomore who wouldn't mind sitting down and answering some questions I have via email or on the phone? I love it. And listeners, you can tell our guests are starting to get younger and younger as they even talk about 10 schools. Like it's like some of our, our earlier guests were like, I did two schools. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, you did it 30 years ago. Okay. You did it 30 different. years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But the, the 10 schools at the time, that felt insane to me. I remember being pretty tired by the time I got to my last school. But yeah, it's changed so much even from when I left because now I feel like 10 is the... Ooh, 10 would be a small list for, for one of our students. Yeah. Yeah. It's how, how, how much in just those few years it's really, it's really changed. Yes. Um, do you remember what material you did for your college admissions? I do. Um, I mm -hmm. sang my favorite song I give to students all the time. It's I Think I May Want to Remember Today. It's a Maltby and Shire song from Starting Here, Starting Now. And then to contrast that, I sang Simple Little Things from 110 in the Shade, which both those songs, it's my dog. She's whining. She wants to go yeah. to college. Not yeah, come on. this. Um, not that incredibly vocally impressive. They didn't, I didn't belt crazy high. I don't think I hit any really difficult high soprano note, but I loved singing those songs and I just felt so comfortable singing them and they cut really nicely. And it's odd because they're not show stoppers in any capacity. They're just well-written 
good material. And then my monologues were, gosh, I wish something like this had had existed when I was auditioning because my monologues were rough. I think I did a Christopher Durang piece from Naomi in the Living Room, which I believe she's a middle-aged crazy woman in that play. As you will be one day. Sure. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I did that. But obviously it's obviously you did well and, and you showed a lot of contrast and you had material you're into. I mean, you know, it, the, the idea of smart choices isn't always a win as opposed to you're like, I love this thing. It's weird, but I love it. And you'll learn something about me with this weird Exactly. Choice. And I think that's, I remember being asked in the room, the, the two things I remember the most was in one room um, at at Michigan, which is where I ended up going, after I sang my songs, which like I said, neither of them went crazy high or showed off an insane amount on my register. They had me go warm up at the piano. They said, can we just take some scales up? Which was because they said, great, we know that you can do that. There's probably more to your voice. We'll just explore it at the piano. We don't need to hear you sing another song. And then the second question was in the audition room with the monologue, after I did the Christopher Durang piece, um, the professor asked me, you know, what about this excites you? Because it's so clearly not a role I'm going to play anytime soon. And I think I wanted to do something that I was going to enjoy doing a bunch of times. And this is an insane person. So I thought it might be fun. And that wasn't a right or wrong answer. That was just an authentic answer. I love it. Well, authentic, we'll call authentic right in a yes. lot of ways. <laughs> what do you think back then that you did really well? What's as a 17 year old, what are you like? I'm really, I'm impressed at myself at 17, 18, I was doing Right. I have to say, I am so impressed with my work ethic as a 17-year-old, way more than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you on that. I just, I'm like, wow, I was so organized and driven and so singularly focused on this thing that I really did everything I could to be prepared beyond the material, but in terms of my appreciation of the art form and of the history, I think- I understood when I was 14 years old that I didn't know what the golden age was. And I remember spending the summer before my college auditions reading a book, which was essentially just the history of Broadway, because I thought if I'm going to enter into a room saying, I want to do this as a professional, I need to know as much about this as possible in the event that they ask. So I remember being really prepared, really organized. My binder had the 16 cuts, 32 bar cuts, the full songs at the back, but I was really economic with everything. I didn't have 12 songs. I didn't have 12 monologues. I got it down to three and three and it worked for everything. And I feel like when I audition for things now, sometimes I'm scrambling and I just remember walking in and even though I would get nervous waiting in the hallways or if I would panic in the dance audition because I was not as great a dancer, I remember thinking the things that are in my control, I have done my utmost to make sure that they cannot write me off based on my preparation or my trust that I have done the work. And I don't feel that way going in now for (laughs) as an adult (laughs) professional sometimes. So I'm really that 17 year old girl. I, I think really gave herself time. I think I started working on it maybe six months, seven months in advance because I just thought I'm already going to be nervous. I don't want to be thinking about yes what these words are. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. We'll talk a little bit, I think, later about um, maybe generational differences, but it does feel like that's something that's true of our generation, if I can lump myself in with yours, of like a level of preparation that was, I don't know if it's because of the internet era or, or what, but but like I would like re- find a playwright I like and read every single play that playwright I was like, of course, I, I can't believe I have access to all these plays. I'm going to do it. And now it's almost like I feel like the students have so much access to so much information that they don't find that deeper dive to be like, let me research every musical this person's ever yes. written. And every, like, yes, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And I like I, I have loved coaching because I love the the gener- the way this generation feels different to me in in a beautiful way is sort of the trust and just what they have to bring to the table. There is a absolute sense of self sometimes that I feel like I didn't quite have at age 16, 17. Like I just felt like a student always as opposed to an individual. But I think the best combo is the individual who understands that you are, you are auditioning for an educational program. We want to know that you are a student. 
Yeah, a ravenous learner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's jump forward to the college years. Yes. Um, so you're now at Michigan. Yes. If I were to make you in one word, sum up what the experience of school was like for you, what would that word be? This is going to sound weird, but the word that came to my head was squeezed. Yes. Yes. Because I felt like I really squeezed everything out of that university, Mm. not just that program, but that university as much as possible. And similarly, I feel like the faculty and the teachers I had, uh, I was a sponge who was just absorbing everything and then getting to squeeze it out in class. (laughs) So I remember leaving Michigan and saying, there is not a single thing that I wanted to try that I didn't, be it acapella groups, mock trial, improv, going to football games and having that Greek life experience, which didn't last very long for me. (laughs) Um, Trying to get a German minor, taking classes in tech, making friends outside of the musical theater program, being in the straight acting classes, going abroad was really important to me. Mm. Living in a city that was a college town that I could stay in. I stayed there and I worked two jobs one of the summers because I wanted to experience my college town as an individual, not just as a student on campus. And I remember leaving and just thinking, for what I paid to go there, I really got my money's worth. Uh Um, And I feel similarly, I'm very proud of that college student who just really was only going for musical theater. That's what brought me there. But as soon as I arrived and saw the resources that were available to me, I just thought, how could I not at this incredible public university take advantage of what is on the table? That's so good. That's such a weird word, but such a perfect word in <laughs> some way. Really, it's like, that's, I mean, God, that's the dream of what everyone wants from the college yes. experience. And an uncommon thing, I think most people have not said something like that. They're like, I wish I did this. I wish I had this. Yeah. Um, It's funny. It's like, I, I of course, look back on that time so fondly. It really was joyous. And as I entered the professional career, I saw also what the holes in the education were. And I saw Uh maybe the downsides of the education. But at the time when I was just living it, um, when I didn't know, when I was just learning who I was as an individual and an artist, it really provided outlets in every capacity that I could have wanted. Mm. And Mm. of course, I'm sure we will talk about how that worked to my disadvantage when I got to the city. Uh But at the Uh time, it was... A, a really vast array of opportunity that I was happy to take advantage of. That is really special. Okay, now I'm gonna, a challenging question. In like three words now, or some number of small number of words, let's try to describe what do we think it feels like to be a Michigan student. So whatever the Michigan motto of this is what a Michigan musical theater student, let's say specifically. It. I think it's creative leadership. I think a Michigan student or somebody who thrives at Michigan is somebody who wants to lead in some capacity and especially in the musical theater program wants to lead creatively. And that doesn't mean that everybody becomes this big uh, Broadway star or Broadway producer or whatever. It just means that in whatever room they occupy, they do so with integrity and authenticity. And I really believe that it was not about flashiness or booking the job. It was about how can you show up in the room in a way that whether you are at the number one on the call sheet or um, outside the intern for the director, how can you show up with integrity and how can you do so in a way that makes people, when you leave the room, say, oh yeah, we we wouldn't mind having her back again. And that's that's really, to me, that's the greatest thing I got from the program was an understanding of how to carry myself that way. That is a fantastic answer. Um, okay, let's play the first of two games. We're playing two games on the pod today. Let's play the first of two games. This is our college flashback round. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. This is a purely numerical game. You're going to see how fast you can answer okay. these questions, right? The goal is how many questions can okay. you answer? Of course, if you can be funny and other things, great. But the goal is only speed. That's all okay. you need, Okay. <clears throat> Favorite show you did in school? Limits. Snack that got you through college? Yugo's yogurt parfait fruit and nut wraps. Social butterfly or bookworm? Social butterfly. Did you kiss anyone in your class? Yes. Messy roommate, clean roommate? Clean roommate, Chelsea Grillin. Ever have a crush on a professor? No. Class you never used again in your life? Oh, 
Um, our architect of architects of Greece. Weirdest acting exercise you did. Um, we had to do something called a journey where you went through the four elements and you crafted it on your own. It was cool though. Ever possess a fake ID? No. Ever slept through a class? Yes. Most embarrassing costume worn? Uh, I think I went as Jean Valjean one year for some reason. <laughs> Ever stolen from a campus shop? <gasps> oh, that's a deep cut. <laughs> I'm in your time. You don't have to answer it. I don't have to answer it. I mean, you can guess by my, oh my gosh, Charlie. You know Definitely. somebody has gone to college when they ask that question. <laughs> It, is it was like, like a journey at Carnegie Mellon. It was like, <laughs> do you or don't you? Are you one of these people or not? Are one you of these people? Or not? I can't believe that is a question, and I can't believe I got cut off before I had to answer. Okay, wait. Now I have to. I have to rephrase the class yes. I never used again. That was theater related. The Greek class is the one that I never used again. But theater related, I would say uh, masks, mask wear. I not, never. You never. Well, not yet. You'll see. I felt like that way about my movement class. Shout out to Calf. I love you so much. I was like, this stuff is ridiculous. What are we doing? We're like doing, and it's the thing I've used the most. And then I'm like, yes. I find myself, I'm using colors and elements. I'm like, I'm using this crap. Like I would not have thought as a sophomore, I would ever use that stuff. Exactly. I wish I could go back and take some of my classes again to be like, ah, now I understand. Um, Megan, you got to help. What was our final number there, Megan? It was 11. Oh, you gotta be! Oh, me. I was so close. So even the reaction of oh, would have, if you've just given it to us, but not felt some some things. If you played action instead of feeling in that moment, you would have had yes. a chance. Go with your instinct. Don't pause. Don't hesitate. Just go. Um, let's do just a little bit of a slower look back at, at those years. You sent some so much good juice already, but um, is there a class if you were to go back, like maybe now and teach a class at this, your school? Is there a class you'd be like, oh, God, I wish I could teach this or, or I wish I'd had this. This really was missing in my curriculum. I wish. I mean, I loved we had this teacher, Malcolm Tulip, who taught the acting majors, but we got to be in his classes. Mm -hmm. And I wish I got to A, I want to go back and take that class. But he was one of the teachers who really did not teach for the product, but the process. Mm. And I don't think we ever like got up and did a final presentation the way that we did in a lot of musical theater classes. It was just kind of like every day was about a part of the process and you, your classmates would watch you go through it. And it was really slow and it was, you didn't work a lot of the times. You'd be watching somebody else work and then maybe you would have a day where you were up there for 45 minutes working through something. Mm -hmm. And I just, I loved, loved, loved that class. And if I could go back and teach anything else, I have gotten to watch so many auditions at this point. And I really would love to teach people about how, how you go in for a specific show because that was something we didn't, mm. we learned a little bit, but I love that. Like choosing material for a specific show that is correct and making the situation authentic to you, but also targeted towards what you're auditioning for. Mm -hmm. I would love that. Cause I feel like we got a lot of audition classes and let's say, um, uh, we got a lot of audition classes, but not necessarily, let's say you're going in for this specific show uh -huh. and you have to bring in your own work. What do you do? Oh, yeah. We've talked about this a lot in different forms on the pod, but like there's just so many different versions of the business and they have to learn how to do this college edition. And then it is different when you get out in the real world. And sometimes they're doing the real world edition where it's like, no, you should be doing the college edition. But then you do have to learn that new thing. Oh, exactly. it's hard. So yes, that'd be a great. I would take that class. Let's teach that I'm class. Sure. Come on, make that happen. I just want to teach like a concert class because I feel like people forget that that's like a huge way for actors to make a living right now. Absolutely. And um, nobody knows how to, I didn't know because I just did it. I was like, I don't know. You don't know how to write about yourself. You don't know how to talk about yourself in a way that's engaging. Yes. Uh, and I think that is a skill everybody needs to learn for the longevity of their careers. It's so true. I was just doing that, helping Elizabeth hurt with her show that she's been putting up this summer. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is stand-up comedy. I've never done. I've never done that. I was like, but basically, you're just writing like quick little stand-up monologues. Is yes. What this is. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And it has to like come from an authentic place. It's yes. so much harder than anything else. And you're telling a story, and that the kind of the songs are already telling a story, but you yourself are weaving together the storytelling elements to give the songs meaning. Exactly. It's a beautiful art form. It's, yeah, I've never really engaged with it before. Um, okay, let's take a really quick break, and then we'll get into Erica's professional life a little bit more and play a special Mean Girls game. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay, so we're back, and we're here to talk a little bit about Erica's professional life. Um, so talk to me a little bit about being 22, you're graduated, and like, how did you navigate that time right out of school, making it to the city, all that stuff? 
I moved here, and again, very impressed with my tenacity. Is that the word I'm looking for? Sure. My first day here, I went and got two jobs, which of course I imagine many people do, but I woke up and I started working at Equinox at Mm. Columbus Circle, and then also um, I was a babysitter and a dog walker. So I like moved here, got all those jobs in Mm. order so that I didn't have to worry about paying my rent. And I feel like I was really lucky. I had a showcase from Michigan, which I think is not necessary to the success of an artist, but it certainly helped me. So I'm a big advocate for it. It helped Mm -hmm. me get my agent and my agent is who I'm still with today. And those first couple months in New York City were really just about doing good work in the audition rooms, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and um, figuring out how New York City worked. I had spent one summer interning in New York City when I was in college. And I did that because I wanted to move here and know how the subway system worked and wanted to know where my favorite spots and quiet studios were. So I figured all that out the summer after my sophomore year when I interned. And thus, when I came to New York, that transition I had already kind of figured out. Mm -hmm. Now it was just about how do I schedule my work schedule and how can I make sure that my auditions don't suffer because of it. But I was really lucky and I moved with my good friends um, and my sister lived here. So I got to live with her for a couple months while I got on my feet. And that was really just the the first eight months of New York was was working and auditioning and not really getting anything, but mm-hmm. getting some, some good feedback and making uh, a nice reputation for myself as mm-hmm. of at least being a prepared person. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I have a young friend who's just graduated from college who just moved to the city. And I actually feel like it's a kind of great time to move here because like jobs are available, like general jobs and, yes. you know, apartments are cheap. And like, and I just do think you were so smart to say, it's going to take me some time to get to know the city. If I've never lived here, I'm not going to just hit the ground running and do Broadway and do waiting tables and do, it's like, that's, it's a difficult city to navigate. So it's really smart that you plan for that. Yeah, it's something I I know not everybody can just move to New York for a summer to intern. But uh, if there's any, even if it's for a month and if you can stay with somebody on a couch, I thought it was such a useful way to have a leg up when I got here because I had friends from college who were getting lost on the subway the morning of their auditions and I Mm -hmm. was not dealing with that. And if you can't, I think I've I've been sort of giving the advice of like, give yourself some grace that like it might take some time for that. That's what these six months were about that. And that's okay that it took you that Exactly. Exactly. It's about forgetting your audition binder on the subway. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) A random cabbie calls you. (laughs) Um, How did you, did you stay connected with a lot of your class through those early years? I did. I have my sort of core group of girlfriends that I've stayed really close with. And I lived with um, two other classmates from that school for three years while I was doing Les Mis. Mm -hmm. I think the way it inevitably happens, a couple of people went on tour. Some people left the business. Some people Mm -hmm. left just New York City in general and moved out to California. Um, So I would say our class was a really close class when we graduated, but we were a very individual class. Mm. Everybody was very strongly themselves and not super, in a a way, not like codependent. We loved being with one another, Mm -hmm. but we all had so much that we wanted to accomplish that I think when we got here and we were thrown to the winds, people really landed in different in different places. Um, All ready to lead if they're following that Michigan motto we've given them. I think so. I think that that, that could be it. Um, but I I think we're supposed to have a reunion in a couple. Let's see. When did I graduate? 2018? Yeah. We think we're going to do a reunion at some point. Like a five year or something. Yeah. After yeah. this year. Oh, no. I graduated in 2014. That's why. We're doing our 10 year soon. I was, was going to say, I was like, 2018. Jesus. I'm like, what? I know she's young. Is she that young? Oh, I realize I'm like, oh, I'm like almost a 30-year-old woman, but I still <laughs> feel like I am like, I just moved to New York. <laughs> I really was about to be like, I really shouldn't have lumped you into my generation. <laughs> no, I fully am. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, tell me a little bit about, are you doing anything at the moment to kind of continue your education? Like, are you taking any classes or do you have any kind of ways that you're holding yourself accountable to personal goals for artistic growth? Yeah, yeah. We're obviously self-taping a lot right now. That's kind of where all auditions are happening. And I uh, like working with a coach on my auditions. I just, I still feel like this is something I don't understand when it comes to TV and film. And I really realized after the Broadway shutdown that not only is this a part of our industry, even more so now because theater actors are getting to make that crossover in a beautiful way. Um, But 
just being able to do all of that is my ultimate goal of being able to have the flexibility to go back and forth between these two spheres of the entertainment industry. So I really work my butt off on these self tapes, partially not even because I think I'm going to get all of them, but mm-hmm. because it's not something I'm that good at yet. And I can walk into a musical theater room and really know what I'm doing. And I still don't feel that way about a TV audition. So that's something I've been working on um, in these sort of classes and coachings I'm doing. And then the other thing that I mentioned was um, what I did miss. I I love doing eight shows a week. I'm like one of the people who I think is wired for it in a way that I didn't know until I was forced to do it. So I feel really lucky that I have that. That's not like a pat on my back. It's just the way I happen to exist. I just Mm -hmm. like that repetition and that comfort. Mm -hmm. But when the pandemic hit, I enjoyed the break. But the thing that I missed the most was singing. I, Mm -hmm. I really didn't care that I wasn't getting to play a character, but I did miss singing. And so writing these solo shows and by the grace of Mean Girls being something that people want to hear me sing has been a great way to figure out how can I flex my writing muscle and how can I start singing songs that are not contemporary musical theater, which is what I did for about four and a half years. Mm -hmm. So I've really loved being back in voice lessons and bringing like the golden age soprano voice back Mm -hmm. um, and figuring out how to show up (laughs) on stage as an authentic version of myself that is also entertaining, which is an odd mm-hmm. um, thing to navigate. It does feel like it almost is a character, right? You create a, a concert character, create an Erica character that's like, it's very close to you, but it's not quite you. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen your yeah. concert, so maybe you are actually 100% you, but... No, no, it's it's very close to me, but it's not quite. It's like the heightened... It's I would say they get about three sides of me and it's the heightened version of those three sides. Yeah, I think that's exactly, that's a great description of it. That's how it's mm-hmm. felt in watching Elizabeth do that. I'm like, this is so close to you, but it's not quite, it is still a, you're still, there's still a mask and you're still protecting a little bit of yeah, like, exactly. who you present me to as the audience. I was like, that's not quite me, but it's close. It is very close. It sounds but like. But it's me. very close. It must be weird as a partner. I have to ask Kyle what it's like to watch because it must be really odd to watch your person do that and be like, yeah, that is you, but not really. But I also don't want you to share that person. Exactly. I'm like, hey, folks. <laughs> but as an artist, I'm like, yes, be vulnerable, but not too vulnerable because those are my wounds that you're sharing. So exactly. your wounds yeah. are my wounds at this point. Yep. Um, that's great. Okay, so let's do our first ever Mean Girls trivia game. Oh, there gosh. may be some movie trivia. I'm saying first ever as if there's going to be more. This is a, probably our only ever Mean Girls trivia game. Who's your next guest? You think there's a next yeah, guest coming on? Do a Mean Girls trivia game to whoever your next guest is. Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. If we're like, now we do an annual, every time it's Mean Girls trivia from now on. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? We did not sign up for this. I didn't, I wasn't in that show. I didn't book. That's fine. Um, there may be some movie trivia from the movie. There may be some Broadway specific questions. And there's at least mm-hmm. one nonsense question in there. Okay. Perfect. Do we feel ready to do this? There are five questions. There's no scoring system. Just you're going to win if you get any questions right, and we'll see if that happens. Okay. (laughs) Okay, great. This first one is a movie trivia question. What is the mascot for the North Shore High School? The lion. Correct answer, potentially. That might also be true in the show. It could be. could be. Okay. Broadway-specific question. Okay. What was the name of the doll Katie practiced kissing on, which was cut from the show. Kyle. Oh, correct. How did you know that? Very good. Very good. Back to movie trivia. Back to movies. The character of Ms. Norbury is named after who? This is a tough one. Okay, Katie's named after her science teacher. Oh my God, I don't know. Her drama teacher. Oh, I think I think we're gonna give you credit for that. This is Tina Fey's high school German teacher, is what we were talking about. Oh my which god! Which I thought might be appropriate when you said you got three quarters of a German education. I was I was trying to send it to you through the. Wait. Hmm. I should totally have known that because Tina. One of the things we bonded over was that we were both German students. We both took German all through high school and college. I should have known that because she's definitely said that to me before. What, difficult trivia. I would not have known. Megan pulled that trivia. Okay, back to Broadway trivia. <laughs> What did Ashley Park call Alex Gemignani when the burn book fell in the pit? The butler. <laughs> that is correct. And then potentially also Jennings or Jeeves or something was a question mark. This wasn't known by our trivia and answerer. Oh. Um, 
who we can reveal was Gray Henson, was very sweet, gave us a little bit of Broadway trivia. Um, thank you to Gray for that. Brilliant. Okay. I was going to say, these are deep cuts. How did you find them? <laughs> Could anyone know this? I'm like, I wouldn't know. Um, okay. Our last question for all the marbles. This is our nonsense trivia question. You played a character called Katie Heron, which is the best namesake? Katie Holmes, Katie Couric, the great blue heron, or the city of Heron, Michigan? The Great Blue Heron. The Great Blue Heron is correct. For all the marbles, the Great Blue Heron is correct. For all the marbles. It's raining marbles here. It's going to be a terrible thing for you to edit out. Marbles, marbles, marbles. Um, fantastic. Let's just do a little bit of kind of wrap-up contemplation. We are talking a little bit about this um, earlier in sort of our experience with young people in this generation. And, uh, you know, we were just teaching at TPAP with a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And I'd kind of love to talk a little bit more about like, what do you think they know more than our generation? Like what, what do they understand about the world that they actually could kind of teach us as young teachers? And we're very young teachers, let's be honest. Yes. I, I think they're much less afraid, which is so beautiful. I mm. think they, in a world that is far scarier to me than it was when I was 15 or 16, they, I think, understand that the only way to exist in it is to show up with a little bit of fearlessness. <laughs> and I, I just admire that so much. I don't know if it's because in, in an interesting way, there's been a breakdown of almost authority, which I think is kind of nice to see, at least in the theater world, because I think they're focusing less on how do I do it right? Mm. How do I do this right? How do I please you? Because they're so much more focused on um, just showing up authentically, I think. I really admire that mm. because I feel like the line between being a student or being in like a good little box and doing things correctly and checking off the checklist. I feel like that's not as important to this generation in a way that makes for some really incredible young performers that mm. charge and lead their own paths. Whereas I felt like I was like, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and then I will get to this, mm. which of course is not how the world works. <laughs> what do you feel like is extra challenging for them? Is there anything that you're like, oh God, this is so much harder in 2021 if I were moving to New York City and trying to do this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's just so much content now that it gets really easy to to get lost in um, how somebody else does something, if that makes sense. I think they are inundated with videos of their friends singing online or bootlegs watching something else. And I just think it becomes hard to parse out when am I mimicking somebody that I've seen do something well mm. versus when am I actually just creating something on my own. And I think that is sort of my biggest advice to them is it's so good to have role models. And I really think you need to do that in this business. So you have a light or a sort of a an example for you to pull inspiration from. But I think inspiration is the only thing you can pull. Mm -hmm. You can't pull your ideas or the way you execute work and storytelling from other people. And I just think it's so much harder to put your blinders on and focus on your page these days Ugh, for yeah, young people. So true. Um, what about the industry as a whole? Like, what, I mean, of course, we're not all Nostradamus, but where do we kind of see this going, you know, in the shift of what has happened the past year? You know, 10 years from now, how is the industry different? How is what has stayed of the pandemic? What has changed? You know, what what do we think it's, is happening? Yeah. Well, I'm most excited for when I started coaching, there were 15 year olds um, who sang, you know, if if somebody was an Asian American performer, she only sang Tupton. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so excited to see th those performers now walking in with like, I'd rather be me from Mean Girls because God, that would be so cool. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for for that most of all, because I just want students to remember that whatever boxes uh, casting directors and producers put us in and the generation before us, those have been blasted wide open. So mm -hmm. I encourage them to keep just finding the material that they like doing, not what they mm -hmm. think they should do. And then in terms of the way I think theater is going to continue just for audience members, let alone young performers, is I think we've seen so much of the same for a while be it the the advent of movie musicals, which I've been a part of and I love them and I'm grateful to them, but I think we are craving something wholly different and on another level now. Hmm. And 
the risk taking that will be involved in that may not necessarily be lucrative or profitable for a second, but I do think it will be in demand. Mm. Um, I think there will be- You're talking about like a new art form almost. Yeah. Yes. I just, I think- I think Broadway will continue to exist and it will continue to be a commercial product, but I think people are actively seeking out how can we tell stories to a larger audience um, in a way that does not involve just buying a ticket to a Broadway show and flying to the heart of New York City. And I am excited to see how that manifests, not just in New York, but um, all throughout the United States, because I think people are taking their work elsewhere in a, in a beautiful way. And New York will always be New York, but you see people realizing I can create something without the limitations that 12 blocks mm. put on me mm. um, or one, one house, one theater house puts on me. So true. Um, okay. One last question. Uh, yeah. You've already given a lot of really great advice to potential young artists, but if I were a 17-year-old, let's say, about to start mm -hmm. my kind of college audition journey, any advice that you would give me, um, or if you really feel more confident, you could talk about, give me advice as a 22-year-old just graduated from school, but, but if I'm a young artist sort of beginning today, anything that you really feel like you'd want me to know? Yeah, I think you're, I think the journey that I'm still on is obviously figuring out who I am and and what makes me unique and special. And I think the earlier you can start figuring that out, the better and how to bring that to the room is great. So don't go to other versions, try and figure out the right way to do it because that's not the right way. That's just one person's way. So that, that to me is a really important piece of advice for any artist, no matter what age they're at, but especially for college. And then the only other thing I would say specifically for college auditions is that you have to see yourself there at the program. Um, and I tell that story about, I canceled my audition for a very fancy school because I just couldn't see myself there. Hmm. And I think it's important for students to remember that, that you're auditioning for four years. You're not auditioning for being somebody on the alumni list who had a great, mm -hmm. who happened to have a great career. So I really say that with caution because I think it, it can be easy to confuse a good school for the right school for you. Mm. And, um, I, I think students need to like listen to and trust their gut. If the right school for you is a tiny liberal arts program that doesn't have a ton of fancy, fancy people who have graduated from it, um, in the middle of nowhere, but you love it. That's where you're supposed to go and you will be okay. I promise. <laughs> really great advice. Cause it also, in some ways you're, you're describing the idea of like, taking back some of the power of like, you're the one paying to go to school here. That like, if you feel like you're in that position of, well, anyone good that will take me, yes. you're not actually in the quite the right dynamic of going, I'm auditioning you, you're auditioning me. Of course, I am hoping to get into these schools. Yes. But to sit there and go like, I would take anyone is is not quite the right attitude. You got to have the power of going, I'm, I have something special to deliver to these schools as well. Which school is going to be lucky enough to get me? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the mind space you want to walk in with. So I hope people can, can do that. Easier said than done, but so important. Easier said than done. Even though at 17, I was so good at that. Now, very hard. At 17, I was like, I'm special. Oh my God, for sure. Yes. Everyone wants me. What happens? I mean, I love coaching 17 and 18 year olds because I'm like, you're experiencing theater in its purest form where it's just the joy and the passion and there's none of the fear uh -huh. yet. Um, which I just, and even more so now with this newer generation of students. And I just love it because it reminds me of like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. being fearless is, is the ultimate goal. So <laughs> if you can get in that naive place to be like, what, what could possibly go wrong? It's like, I know. like, I know what could go wrong now. I know how bad it could be. <laughs> because it's happened to me. <laughs> um, if people loved hearing you today, which I cannot imagine they didn't, um, where could we find you? Do we have apps and tags and places that they should be following you if they were to oh, sure. like to hear more? They could find me. I'm only on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my first and last name, Erica Henningsen. And I think that's it. Where else am I locatable? <laughs> what about, I know you have some upcoming TV stuff. Is there anything you want to plug that people could check you out on? Yes, definitely. Um, look out for season two of Girls Forever and Harlem coming up on Amazon. Oh, and um, hopefully I'm taking the show that I've been working on and rewriting and retooling, taking it on the road. And hopefully I'm going to be uh, revisiting my hometowns on the West Coast, uh. up and down the, the Western 
Western Fantastic. Border. So um, if you're out there, look for me. <laughs> we will put both of those things in the show notes here. And then also if there's links that you have, we can put them directly in. Or if you get them later, we'll kind of tweet them out as we get it as a friend of the pod. Go check out Erica. Perfect. Well, great, Erica. Thank you so much for the time today. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm really happy I could do this. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the fabulous Erica Henningsen as much as I did. Um, She is really great. Isn't she so smart and so fun and funny and just all the things that you want to be when you grow up, you know, Um, even though, God, she's so young. Thank God it wasn't 2018. I was really worried about that. Um, This week, I'm going to do a takeaway, which is going to lead us into our first ever podcast challenge slash homework assignment. Uh, You heard Erica talking a bit about a college class that really emphasized process over product. Um, I just want to highlight that and say that's something we really believe in strongly at MTCA, especially during this college audition process. Um, It's really difficult as a young student to not constantly be working toward a product, um, whether it's because you saw a YouTube video and wanted to sound exactly like that performer in the video, um, because you read a monologue a certain way and you think that th- this is the perfect delivery. This is the line reading I should give to myself, right? It's really tempting to work toward what you think is right or perfect, but that way of working will quickly become a hindrance to you in your auditions. The journey that you're on um, asks you to film pre-screens, which are inevitably a product, a a small product, and then have that same material feel artistically lived in months later in live auditions. So that work that you're doing in setting or polishing your material for the pre-screen, you're inevitably making it harder on yourself. You're making the work feel more stale and less alive for your live auditions. This will be even more evident as you bring it in for the live auditions and your pieces are going to feel kind of dead because you're playing a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of whatever that original inspiration was. Instead, what we want to do in working for process over product is we want to find what is replicatable or what is replicable about our work in the way that we work. Remember that you're auditioning for these schools as young students, not as finished products. So the way that you work is as important as the work itself that you show. None of these colleges are accepting the top 12 performances that they see. They're accepting a class of individuals with different talents that they want to work with for four years. So if it's helpful, my favorite analogy to use for this as performing artists is to like relate us to a sculptor. So if we're a sculptor, our job is not to bring in this beautiful piece of clay, clay sculpture that you've you know, spent months molding for us, but rather to bring in the ingredients into the room and actually make the thing live in front of us. So you may have an idea of what you're going to make, but it's all happening live and it could be slightly different than how you made it last time, even if you know how to make this pot. Even if you have to know how to make whatever this thing is, that way of working of going, I'm creating it live and allowing it to be different and not focus so much on what the end result is um, will make your college process much easier and much more successful and I think more fun. Um, And I think as a professional, it'll be a really helpful way for you to work too. Um, So you're not going to be quite so precious with all of the work that you do. Which leads us to our first podcast challenge which is to create an audio time capsule submission for your college process. So these are some goals that you're going to set for the process of your college editions. It's like a vision board, but in audio form. So you're going to set some goals. You're going to speak them into the microphone. I'm going to suggest that they all begin with, I'm proud of myself for, and then you're going to insert what you're proud of yourself for in this process. Um, And then you can kind of choose your own adventure of what you say and what additional prompts you can give yourself. We have some examples, and we're going to drop a link in the show notes on the instructions for how to do the challenge and encourage you to send them to us if you want. You'll also be able to find that on our website. We'll have a link on our website directly to this little um, PDF, basically, which gives you instructions on how to do it. And with your permission, if you like it and give us permission, um, we may share some of them on the pod at the completion of the year. Um, For our alumni listeners, we encourage you to do this also. Just do it for your career. So if a college student, a potential college student is doing this at the end of their college process, and the goal is, I'm so glad I found a program that's a great fit for me, maybe your goal is whatever that next career plateau that you're hoping to reach, you can say, I'm so glad that I reached this career plateau, but the exercise will be the same. Um, and you can do it for yourself in, it could be a year from now, two years from now, um, kind of wherever you want to be in your career at a new point. So I'm going to give you an example of what it might sound like. Please don't feel like you need to just do the thing that I said. Um, I just wrote this out as an example, but then you can kind of make it your own. So my example is I'm proud of myself for the curious way I handled this process. 
I stayed open to new possibilities and discovered a lot about myself along the way. I forgive myself for taking the rejection so hard along the way. This was my first time doing this, and it was harder than I realized it was going to be. I may have understood it intellectually, but I didn't really understand how hard those rejections would be. I want to thank my parents for supporting me financially throughout this process, and especially my dad for enduring all those late-night venting sessions. I learned what it was to dig deeper artistically in my work, and I successfully shared my joy of this art form in those audition rooms. I'm going to try to carry that forward into my work at college. I brought 100% of myself to this process, and I trusted myself that I was enough. I'm so glad that I found a program that's a great fit for me. So as you notice, I'm speaking things that had, did happen, even though, of course, it's in the future. It's a time capsule, right? I'm speaking things that did happen in this process and hopefully manifesting them by making it something that I'm saying, I am doing this. This did happen. I successfully achieved this. Um, and then you can kind of check back and go, how did I do? How did I achieve those goals or not? If you enjoyed this episode and enjoyed that time capsule, which please, we're interested in your feedback on too, and how, how it goes, whether or not you share um, your time capsule with us, with us, please hit that subscribe button. Um, we'd also appreciate it if you were to rate and review us where you found us. We're suggesting five stars if you're like a mean girl or like an ironic five stars if you're like a nice girl and you just want to be nice to us. Maybe those are reversed. Maybe nice is five in whichever way. Just give us five stars and rate us and, and review us. Um, you can also reach out, out to us with questions for the pod. And those questions could be questions about the process um, at mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual preparation for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeaudition.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, never pause before answering a question about a potential felony. It could lose you a meaningless game. See you next week. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.